Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is the comedian Mark Watson. At 41 years old, he's banging the midlife. And the changes he's experiencing in his family situation and the ageing process generally are providing some lovely material for his satirical and self-deprecating stand-up work. One show was described by a regional paper as divorce, centre parks and much more. I'm sure we'll find out what the much more is today. Solgar are on board supporting us again. A Solgar 7 is the next generation alternative after glucosamine that supports mobility, flexibility and a range of motion insensitive joints. Solgar 7 has been shown to help improve and get you back on track within seven days. All right, let's go chat to Mark. Mark Watson, hello. By the way, Mark, I've done your proper intro, obviously. Don't think that I'm just starting this without. Oh, I trust you. you. I trust you. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about that. Um, but your, your, I don't think your wiki page is up to date. I don't think, you know, you, you haven't put your awards down, for example. The wiki page is a bizarre thing because I don't know who's doing it. Um, it's, <laughs> Wikipedia is just this kind of central font of knowledge and sometimes misinformation. Um, and. Yeah, mine is an absolute jumble. There's loads of information about minor stuff that I did in my 20s. Um, there's massive <laughs> breakdowns of t- specific TV episodes, but then there's also <laughs> enormous omissions. Also, for a while, it said age 39 or 40 on my Wikipedia page. It had two, <laughs> two possible birthdays, and I've got no idea why that is because I'm... Are you 41? I'm 41 now. Right, I, um, <laughs> I was born in 1980, and I've never, I've never made any attempt to falsify that information. I've been absolutely open about it, but for, for some reason... Someone on Wikipedia just questioned it, and it was so. I, I did a couple of interviews where people said, "What? Why are there two versions of your birthday out there?" And I wasn't <laughs> at all aware of it. So yeah, basically, it's. So I think it's an amazing resource. I, I do love it because it's policed really well. But stuff does sneak in there. I, yeah. Someone wrote on there that I once because I'm known for doing weird novelty type comedy shows. Someone wrote that I'd put, uh, built a dry stone wall during a comedy show, like on stage, and um. It had escaped my notice because obviously you can't go through life checking your own wiki every day or, or ever, really. Um, but then I was on telly in New Zealand, like live TV. It was a breakfast show. And the guy said, well, the first thing we've got to ask you is about this dry stone wall. And I, <laughs> I only had like a three minute slot to promote my show. And I spent half of it just having to debunk this. Uh, and then when I got back to the hotel, I still don't know you know who was doing it or what their motives were but I, I looked it up about a day later and I noticed it, it was still there but whoever it, or someone else had changed it so it said and he once famously <laughs> built a dry stone wall on Wikipedia although Watson now distances himself from, <laughs> from that incident or something like that Watson now denies the wall. Can I, can I tell you my best <laughs> my best misinformation which um, it used to say that I went to a school called Bishop Ullathorne in Coventry which is a Catholic uh, comprehensive school at the top of the street we used to live on in Coventry only I left when we were eight and as prodigiously brilliant as I am obviously mark i still didn't go to high school at very few people are fast track from eight yeah <laughs> i was being sarcastic obviously and so whoever's decided that was surmising because they looked at a postcode and thought that must have been the school mm. as you know you don't change stuff on wiki do you it just sits there kind of misinformation sits there unless it was something horrendous like you know something you know terribly kind of defamatory so about few years ago my agent rang and she said oh I had a lovely email from the headmaster of Bishop Oliphant School apparently they have a really lovely shrine to you an area with your picture oh that is amazing <laughs> and he'd like you to come and do prize giving and I said well I'm really sorry yeah. thanks for the thanks for the shrine area the only <laughs> the only problem with your shrine is there's a key piece of information missing from that 
<laughs> so yeah, so I'm obviously uh, there's a lot more to it, you and to everybody. Than, than it, it does fascinate me how once something is out there on the internet for long enough, it is just it becomes gospel. Whether <laughs> even the person that it's about can't necessarily change it. No, no, that is a fact. Now uh, you are we've established definitely 41 years old, and yeah. um, I'm going to kind of get into something quite big early on because I haven't had this conversation with many of my guests because they've either not been through it or it's not relevant for some reason. And, but you've talked so publicly about your divorce yeah. in your comedy. Um, and that's a classic kind of midlife thing, isn't it? The breakup of a long-term relationship. And, yeah. But you, but using it in comedy, not, not necessarily the most uh, well-trodden kind of route because it's such a personal and deeply kind of um, yeah upsetting thing, I guess. So how did you come to that decision? Well, it is kind it? of, there's no doubt it's difficult. And the thing is, um, obviously, there's scarring on both sides from everything. And also a lot of the breakup was my fault. And so it's a very, very thorny issue. Plus, there are kids in the in the mix. Mm. So what I do really is I do refer to it on stage um, because it's context that people sort of need. It would be very hard for me to to not talk about it in a way because so much of my material is basically about my children and how I only have them half the week and how they permanently drive me mad but they can because they've got that emotional card that they can always play all, all these <laughs> things play into my psyche whether I like it or not but what I try to do and I have probably crossed the line uh, and misjudged it before but I try not because I'm very conscious that my ex is not um, actually she has been a performer but she's not doing that now she doesn't have a right to reply basically so as you say what is it, it isn't like the actual nuts and bolts of a divorce are not very good fodder for comedy. But what there is a tradition of, obviously, is uh, white middle-aged guys going, anyway, my wife, she was a nightmare, my ex. I, I'd never want to go down the road mm. of being no. l- like doing comedy about that. So I have to, it's a tightrope. I've definitely, there was a period where I was feeling the financial impact of it quite hard. And I did make uh, several jokes about that, <laughs> which um, <laughs> I got into a little bit of trouble for. And I did come to feel guilty about that as well, because again, that's not really anyone else's business. But yeah. No. This is... But did it make you feel better at the time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. It always is. And I suppose it is a relief to talk about it on stage. And it, mm. But again, I have to be conscious that there are other people in that equation. My son is 11 now. So if a mm. clip of me is on YouTube, he's seen it within half mm. an hour. Of being what does he say? How does he deal with it? With you? Well, he's never seen anything at least to my knowledge, that's too damning yet. Like we've already said, there's loads of stuff about you on the internet that's not even Mm. true. And there's not a lot I can do Mm. about that. But the stuff I can control, I try and keep him... But again, I can't even blame him. If you if he wasn't googling me, it would be co- sort of weird, wouldn't it? I'm his dad. Yeah, yeah, of course. But also, the stuff that you do bring to the stage about family, right? You know, it's obviously exaggerated, isn't it? You know, that's what a comedian's job is. You take a nugget of something and then you kind of exaggerate it to the point that it's almost distanced from reality. But kids don't always kind of well, no, that's work that out, that's the other thing. It's difficult for me to say. Oh, that's just a, that's just a comic shtick about about your entire <laughs> upbringing. Um, so yeah, I have to be. There are definitely uh, gigs where I, I talked and moaned about, you know, all the things that young parents do, sleep deprivation. Your kid, my son was quite a difficult kid as well, behaviourally. Um, so there were... There... Is it, this is your son I met once on Fighting Talk who told me he had a big brain. <laughs> That's that. right, yeah. He's never, yeah. he's not really shifted from that conviction. <laughs> well, no, sometimes he... sometimes he... he probably has got a big brain. Uh, I mean, you're a very clever man. I don't know. And, you know. I mean, his schoolwork is... Uh, fine but there are times there were certainly times in the homeschooling period where he didn't seem to have that much confidence in his big brain because suddenly he was incapable of reading <laughs> one page of prose and answering three questions about it so he's got a big brain if he chooses to turn it on like most kids i suppose yeah like most but, um, boys yeah you're right sorry not this is not a boy girl 
thing, but it kind of is because I've got boy girl twins, yeah. and you see the difference. You're in a good position to, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've got a boy and a girl, and, and there's certainly marked differences in the in the way they approach academia, even at this age. Yeah. yeah. But you um, know what? The thing is, here's the thing, Chris. I'm I'm a few years ahead of you. The um, somebody said to me a few years ago, when they get to 15, everything just clicks. And for the boy, it is amazing actually how things just seem to fall into there place. There you go. So you just got to you just got to white knuckle oh, it for, for three, three and a half more years of hanging in there. Yeah, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, that, so you're right. You, you did meet him on Fine Talk, and it is it's been a feature of his life that um, I've tried not to drag him too much into what I do because you know you meet sometimes the kids of people in entertainment or media that have never known any other life, so then they feel like yeah. they have to they have to do it themselves follow they parents, have to follow yeah. their and i don't want him to feel like that because um for a start it's quite annoying to people when there's this you know endless succession of people doing the same you know actors or but also i want him to feel like normality is i mean i love what i do and it is a good life but it's not necessarily something you recommend to your kids because it's such mm. a volatile way to live but yeah against all this is the fact that sometimes i've had to bring him into studios or backstage at shows festivals telly so he has had uh, an unusual relationship with the idea that's of so TV. Exciting, well, though, that's but... yeah, that's the thing. I think at the moment it's great. It's just if he starts thinking, "I've got to do that," that would be, or even, I, well, if he wants to do it, then I suppose fair enough. But yeah, I worry for him a bit about that. Does it change your? I mean, obviously, your relationships changed because of divorce. Because, like you say, you condense your week with your kids into a smaller period of time. Um, do you think your relationship, because you tour and because you go away and because you're working in intense periods? As a father, does it affect, do you think, how you parent in those? I, I think so. Um, I, well, yeah, I, I've had a, I've certainly had a strange relationship with it because part of the reason that the relationship started to falter was that I was traveling endlessly at, at the time when uh, my son was very, very small, the first child. And mm. so she, uh, there was an unfair burden of, of parenting on her and uh, well, you probably know yourself. You, you can make yourself extremely unpopular by not being around um, when kids are, <laughs> are small. But and there wasn't a lot I could do about it. It was so anyway. Um, so right from the outset, I think of having kids, I've always felt that I've always had sort of absent dad guilt because of the amount of the week that I'd be spending. And, there must be a lot of comedians within the community. Do you chat about it and how to deal with? Yeah, it? but I don't think I had chatted about it beforehand. So I wasn't. I was not prepared for the disruption it was going to cause. Like. I'd be on tour coming back mad distances just to be there in the morning so that I could, you know, mm. do a couple of hours and then back off again. All things which end up being counterproductive, of course, because mm. it's not about, um, you know, in football terms, it's not about getting as many minutes as you can on the pitch. It's about good times. So, you know, often if you come mm. barging back into it for a couple mm. of hours, you're doing more harm than good. Better, knew... better to be a Jack Grealish. Uh, exactly. Have a good 20 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> just give me half an hour off the bench, but I'm fresh. I wasn't doing that. I was more like someone pulling at the end of a season that had been overplayed in all the cup competitions. I was playing in four different fronts at once. But this is the thing. None of this is stuff I knew. Looking back, I feel mm. like I don't think I took enough advice on the first two or three mm. years and so then you and I certainly didn't chat to it was only five years into it I was cornering comedians going how the hell uh, does this work then and by then it's a bit late because you're you're doing it you know on the fly but actually a lot of people listening to this who don't work in stand-up comedy will have experienced that because your careers are taking off almost while you're most fertile well, <laughs> as a woman a and absolutely the man so you you know there's there is that and I, I remember that feeling of like having two babies in the kitchen and seeing Kenny kind of like waving as he went off to a meeting you know kind of yeah um 
a feeling incredibly abandoned you know it, it's there's no way of there's not an obvious good way of doing it my uh, my ex was a um theater director and writer and had done some performing basically she did she did park a lot of her ambitions so that i could do mm. my stuff and i was aware of that there wasn't much alternative in a way because i was earning more money and stuff but there can't help being a resentment mm. on both sides and you had two babies at the same time as well i can't even think about it i mean listen i'm not because i did keep working as well but it was it, we, we kind of trying to juggle it and i think with a lot of couples it's exactly the same scenario will have gone on so looking back now um because we kind of you know we get to midlife and you think well i've acquired some wisdom i kind of you know what would i do differently would you do anything differently it's a good question obviously i've asked myself a lot um i think we've really touched on this briefly but i would i would stop trying to do everything at once i think i'd have the conversations where i said um so I'll be away on tour for two weeks. It's maybe best if I'm just gone for that period. Mm. Then I'll come back and do this. Because And the trouble is, at the same time, because of financial paranoia, I suppose, and that stage of life where you've got very young children, you've just got a mortgage for the first time. I think I was, mm. I was desperately trying to take on all possible work, partly mm. because... Of a fear that you yeah. never know when it's going to dry I was up. I mean, literally, just freelancers. Gonna, just going to use the phrase: you never know when it's going to dry up. That, that's a phrase that we've all got hardwired into us. Um, and also, unfortunately, certainly, unfortunately for my ex, I think that's my that is my personality as well. I I, I love to work, and for whatever reason, I see myself as hopefully not in a aggressively masculine way as like a provider, but I always feel like I should be working harder, taking on more. I think if I could do it again. I'd at least have a little period where I did not take stuff on as compulsively or but probably what I should have done is uh, if I'd said to my ex, look, I'm going to continue to travel a hell of a lot because I have to really. So mm. is this a good time to have kids? If I, I'm not blaming her at all either. I just don't think I've ever been very good at saying, uh, this is what I'm going to need. This is what you're going to need. How do we mm. make that happen? My, my thing has always been to plunge headfirst into the situation. Also, a lot of it's communication. And then I think you be hit the nail you know, on the head there. Then, I think communication is yeah, I, key, isn't I, it? So that's probably, unfortunately, the big brain answer is probably, if I could go back in time, there would have to be a series of much better, more honest conversations about how we were going to negotiate. But again, we didn't have those till we were screaming at each other in the kitchen. And by then, you're backpedalling a bit. Uh, so, well, uh, I, know, I know it's very niche, but maybe you should write a book, The uh, the Guide to Parenting for Stand-Up Comedians in Their Early 30s. Because, you know, you've got... You've got... Well, I mean, maybe it's yeah. certainly niche, but I mean, I guess I just have to put a very, very high cover price on the book and they, then they can pay me out of all of their Netflix series and stuff that young guys have these days. <laughs> and of course, um, everything that you do in your life is potential material, right? And your Twitter account, for example, is fantastic because you, I don't know whether you're trying stuff out there or whether you just genuinely see something and make it funny and put it out there straight away or, and whether it goes anywhere else or how it it's works. actually very rarely that, that i am um i always feel a bit weird when i see someone a comic tweet something really funny that they've just noticed at a station or something and then i see them do it on stage and i i, I don't it makes me uneasy for the same reason that i don't like it when Sometimes if you're a comedian, you're traveling with other comedians. Again, they'll just make a remark to you like, God, when you take off on a plane like this, it always reminds me of, and you think you're having a real chat. And then that night they'll say it on stage. And again, you think, all oh, right, so that was sort of an audition for that joke. Um, <laughs> so I don't really like doing that. I Genuinely, my Twitter is, um, and I think it's why. Fun times. <laughs> yeah, I think it's why my Twitter following is quite large because I've never, ever treated it as anything more than just like a stupid thing where you're in bed on your phone you think here's a half funny thought i never look at the tweets and think oh is that taking off and some comedians really do they'll save tweets for certain times of the day and i can't be asked with that i think of course there's a professional aspect i do use it to promote stuff mm. but most of the time it's just the purest form of messing about that, that there is basically <laughs> and how does it inform your writing 
as well, well because obviously you're, you're now a published author. Yeah, it's certainly it's very difficult to tell. I think I find writing a book really, really different from writing stand up. I don't even really write gags that much. The way I build a stand up show is to just be in the moment, to be on stage, trying stuff out, telling stories, gradually spinning them and, and trying to watch it come into being which is a long-winded way of doing it it means loads of gigs where you're not that funny and you have to trust that your audience will go with you it's a luxury that you don't have at the start of your career when you're only doing sort of five minutes um whereas writing a book is about just a long long period of i think that's why i like it actually stand-up is about instant highs the whole time basically going up every night and saying do you love me do you still love me as much as 10 minutes ago that's what it can feel like especially now because we're all out of practice you, you basically you spend the first 20 minutes just on your knees thanking the audience for bothering to come out because uh, so <laughs> whereas with a novel um you know it's a period of intense focus for like months years very very patiently gradually building something and I think I like that about it because a lot of my career as a comedian has been about chasing those short hits the highs which is a tiring and psychologically that's not a very fulfilling way to live your life I love doing comedy but the bit about it I like is doing building longer more substantial things things that especially as I get older as well you start to mm. think what am I leaving behind me it, it needs to be more than just a load of gags every night did you get a first at Cambridge yeah I did yes <laughs> it's, or double first. no it was just I just mean, a first I don't often talk right. about it because it, there is quite a bit of a and well, then, listen, you're a grammar school there. boy, right? You're a, you know, and, yeah, and, and I, you went to Cambridge and you got an English, a first in English. So what I was getting to is your writing, I guess, you're kind of coming back to using that education. That's right. You? That was what I actually very... wanted. I wanted to be an author, really, from the outset and a writer. And then stand up just sort of happened by accident because I didn't really know what it was. so funny. I'm so <laughs> bloody talented. The world demanded it of me. Yeah, I never had a plan to do. People often ask in interviews, how do you get into comedy? And I think... Like with most jobs, I just started doing it to see if I could gradually work my way up, hung in there, and I, I cracked on from there. So there wasn't a plan. My plan was just at university, I was staying up late writing. I was always writing. And I only tried comedy because I thought, I've got no idea how I'll ever become recognised as a writer. But with stand-up, I can just be literally on my way up to the stage, think of something and say it. You said a couple of times that like you said about obviously being loved on stage, being recognised as a writer. How important is it to have that validation and, and your personality? Do you know what uh, unfortunately, I think it's really important. <laughs> I um, I mean, to some extent, all comedians must have, you know, some mm. sort of need to be recognised and stuff because this isn't a job that you'd do. Do in private. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's very little in it for you. It wouldn't go very well. <laughs> no, no, I don't really rate my own stuff enough to just do gigs to myself. Um, which is another thing about stand-up compared with acting or something. There is no real means of rehearsal. You can try stuff out on your mates or your family, but they'll soon tell you to stop doing that. Um, well, you go, do you do, some, you just do like those tiny little backroom pub gigs? Yeah, again, first. it's easier when you're more successful because you can go under the radar a bit. You can, you can book a room and just 30 people show up who like you or, but yeah, when you're starting mm. out, you literally are just throwing yourself into, I suppose not literally throwing, it'd be, it'd be dangerous, <laughs> but you, you are just chucking yourself in, in front of strangers and saying, well, I don't even know if I'm good at this, but we'll soon find out. Um, and I think the need for validation I mean, obviously, early in your career, the need for success and validation is is uh, just pragmatic. Like, if people aren't laughing mm. at you, you're not going to make it. You've got to do it. Mm. Now, it's obviously much more about something psychological. I think I have a lot of hang-ups about not being, I don't know, successful or respected enough or loved enough. Or, uh, and, I mean, as you get older... Have you not, have, and have you not kind of done anything to work those through? <laughs> You'd think. You would think, wouldn't you? <laughs> I've, I've just started having 
therapy in the past few weeks, literally. And um, how's that gone? Well, uh, it's it's kind of too early to say, but I have I, it's as much anything. It's just been a relief to actually to just do it. That the process of starting doing that is daunting, obviously. And again, maybe there's male pride mm. or something. I've ju- I've also just. I have a podcast with my friend Michael Chakraverti, who's a Bake Off contestant, and it's all about masculinity. And we recorded an episode with me as the guest a couple of weeks ago. And really, for the first time ever in that episode, I talked about feelings of failure and of being a disappointment to myself and all this stuff, which in classic style, it wasn't until I had that conversation, I was fully aware of some of this stuff myself, which made me think I did need to make the step into therapy because you can't just do all this stuff through podcasts although actually well, also, you almost can these there are so many podcasts you probably some people just but you've been you know. through a divorce as well and I, I think it's almost I, it should be part of the decree finai should be an agreement to go and have a little bit of absolutely i should have um then it's one of those ironies i think in life i was in such a poor way psychologically for a couple of years that i did at the time i most needed the help i didn't have somehow the emotional energy or whatever to go about it mm. and I was in and still am in another relationship. And so I, I sort of felt like yeah, you tell yourself that that's all solved, mm. but I've never confronted much of the psychological baggage of uh, any of it, really. <laughs> Most of what's... Well, you, you know, are now, so that's, I mean, that's, I, I'm, I'm, that's only going to be healthy for you and your kids. Yeah, I it? think it is, it is partly about the kids. I need to feel mm. like I'm doing the best job of being a person. As they get older and more recognisably needing examples, mm. I, I feel like I, I need... Which brings its own pressure, of course. I think I'm basically... Um, I guess it's partly because if you are creatively active, writing stuff on stage, talking about your life, it's quite easy to feel as if you've done the work because you're <laughs> sharing quite a lot of what's you know in your brain with the world. But as you've already mentioned, the, the version of yourself you put in, even in a book or even in something very personal, is still not the whole of you. So basically, I think I've never given myself any support or space mentally because I feel like I've already got that. But it's not; it's an mm. illusion. Like even my my, oh. my partner is great and very loving and understanding supportive of my various quirks stuff, but that's still not the same as professionally addressing stuff is it because well, yeah. th- again she's not she's not a therapist she's not, not no, meant to be neither i mean sure your audience are lovely and clever but neither are they you know they're <laughs> they're not giving you any feedback no, I, they're just listening i've de- so. definitely given myself uh fob myself off thinking oh you, you know you've dealt with that you, you've done that you're fine now and not been fine a lot of times as a result and also, I always wonder, you know, because you do a lot of self-deprecation, right, which is um, very funny, but eventually the ego, and I mean that in the truest sense, kind of relates to that information, you know, is, is interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. This again, and I'm not trying to plug uh, my own podcast, but, do it, but do once it. again, it is, it is the case that this came up almost for the first time the other week, this idea that, um, because Michael spent a lot of time with me and he says the exact same observation, you're always self-deprecating. Do you think that there's a... Um, a problem with that <laughs> and again i'm having to face quite late in my in my well i hope it's not late in my career to know how long my career is going to be as you no. said could dry up any minute but um, uh, it's the middle of it it's of course point. that's the whole point <laughs> uh, so this is maybe a good time to reflect on the fact that i have done myself down ruthlessly in didn't even say ruthlessly very well there <laughs> my tongue got in the way i've done myself down mercilessly we'll, we'll have a go at that um both on stage and off and of course those things bleed into each other because you can't help living up to your stage persona a little bit mm. with people especially they don't know you as well and um i said this to michael more than 10 years ago i read a self-help book called don't sweat the small stuff and one of the chapters mm. was about how if you repeatedly describe yourself in a particular way it becomes true because you know your brain mm. is, is plastic in that way um i'm a big one for saying oh, i always do that if i smash a glass oh, i'm always doing that i always mess this up i always and again on stage that's it's useful to have these tropes of like look at the stuff that i'm always getting wrong 
look at the mistakes I've always made. Do we? Can we swear or not? Yes. Right. Okay. Look at the things I'm always fucking up. Basically, is more <laughs> or less my default position on stage, and then and I also talk about myself a lot like that in life, and it's taken me ages to understand that. I think therapists talk about it in terms of narrative. I've now got a narrative in my brain that I am basically this sort of loser guy. So I, these are all mental patterns yeah. that partly being a performer and partly being a human, I've dragged myself into. And now I need to, after the midpoint, get myself gradually out of, I think. Yeah. And I think the therapy will help that because, listen, you don't want to become Aunt Middleton, right? It's not <laughs> <laughs> It's not an either or. No, I think, uh, but there's a point that you want to be able to separate what goes on on stage I think, with the real belief inside Mark Watson. For sure. I think if you Googled the opposite of Aunt Middleton, it would be close to me that, that came up probably. <laughs> I don't know if you can Google the opposite of a person, but this is the thing. I, one thing that I do like about myself is that I do think I have a reasonable level of self-awareness. And I see, again, not always, but often men who... Yeah, whose opinion of their talent and what they've got to offer is about 20, 25% higher than it should be. Um, <laughs> so I think it's a good corrective to, to not be like that, mm. to think, how could I improve? What are my flaws? What am I working on? Um, and that's the thing. Yeah, I want to preserve that about myself, to always be asking myself honest questions. But what I don't want is to be endlessly dwelling on the negative answers, which mm. is what I've done for a long time. Too long, yeah. Look, there's a, um, I hate people that say, I don't hate people, but I hate it when I hear look and I just did it. I might even, because it's my podcast, I might just edit that out. You could do, couldn't you? Uh, It's funny, I, uh... (laughs) Um, We are going to now speak to um, the lovely Mel Dean. Mel is a trainer. He's an ex-rugby player. I train with him. Uh And he is going to talk to us a little bit about midlife fitness programs. And I don't know what your, Mark, what your exercise kind of regime is. Do you want to give us, I'll say a quick hello to Mel first. Mel Dean, are you there? I am, Gabby. How are you doing? Are you well? Very well. You look well, as always, doesn't he, Mark? Uh, I'd say that uh, Mel and I have different exercise regimes, just at a first glance at him, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mel is not just, he trains every day, obviously, right, Mark? But he also, uh, he's non-drinking and clean living. We've got different regimes in different aspects as well, then. We haven't got on to Mark's fitness regime just yet. We've been doing a lot of deep kind of psychology, actually. It's been interesting getting into Mark's mind. But Mark's body, tell us about it, Mark. Well, actually, um, I mean, you wouldn't exactly call it a regime but I do do a lot of running my my sole exercise is I love running I've been doing it for years and um I suppose like with a lot of exercise it's partly about the body itself but also just mentally I find it really we've been talking about how I get in my own head a lot and I'm not very good at switching off and I'm always dwelling on the negatives asking myself all this I'm basically quite neurotic and I find it very hard to not do that but the almost the one thing that breaks me out of it is just going off on a long run it's the hour a day when I'm not really in my own so I'm not specifically doing it for fitness although I do like to feel like I'm in shape I mostly do it because more or less just an escape from everyone else actually no one can stop me (laughs) so if you were to be told uh, for example like in midlife Mel uh, strength training in our age kind of group in the 40s is really important isn't it so we'll try and convert Mark to kind of add a bit of weights tell us the benefits Um, well I'd like to actually get to see him run would be my first point of call with him. I know you must do a lot of running, but I'm not sure who taught you how to run. People end up just, they, they walk fast and then they all of a sudden, their heels striking as they run. And I'd want to really probably pick you apart as you run. They end up being very um rotated in the shoulders because they just get into this. Yeah. As you said, you get into this kind of, I've switched off yeah. from everybody. I'm in this little zone and your shoulders are coming towards each other at the front. Yeah. You get me? But if we, if I got you lifting, I would be getting you to pull. I would be getting you to straighten. I'd have your posterior nice and strong. 
So you stay up more upright. I reckon. I reckon you would be able to pick me apart because the answer is really no one taught me to run. I just sort of got into it, and so I've never had apart from once actually. Um, uh, when I was quite new to it, I I was getting a lot of pain in my uh, ankles and uh, knees. Of that, I did go to a sports physiotherapist, and um, he made me wear different socks and all that. But also, it was stuff like this. My stance was wrong. I was landing too heavily on my feet. The guy was like, "Well, your your ankles hurt because you're." you keep slamming your ankles down on the ground over and over again, basically. <laughs> when I thought about it, I was like, this is why this guy gets his money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think of the hind leg of a horse or a dog, the fascia in your foot and the, the sole of your mm. foot, that fascia there, you're not availing of that latent energy that's in your foot. If you just lean forward just a little bit on the balls of your feet, you'd end up feeling how much power is which is, is why there, the, the new use. nike superfly shoe literally propels you forwards doesn't it? and this and by really? the way other shoes are available but yeah it is <laughs> it does that, that if they'd like to send me a pair um, that did sound does, a bit like a moment in the podcast but there's suddenly a surprising change of subject into uh, <laughs> available goods and services yeah uh, follow Mel, the can link we talk, can we talk about though the benefits of because obviously this is not something that mark does at the moment but a lot of people hear this message why should men and women because mel uh, by the way mark runs uh, a group of women called ladies that lift he's got right. this whole group of women who are kind of like not weightlifters, but they're using a little bit of iron into their programs what are the benefits at this age uh benefits are bone density heart health if you get some more muscle mass on you you're you're going to burn more calories then you're going to burn the fat um there's no downside to it the only downside to it is if people's posture when they're lifting is incorrect yeah and i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a stickler for that uh, quite annoyingly so i feel and i'll say when you're putting that weight down they'll just drop it before they're listening to me explain it no no tell me about how you put the weight down and, and you can see them going oh shit he got me again yeah you, he got me you again. see people at the gym like clatter them down and even as an outsider i'm thinking that can't be that can't be right <laughs> <laughs> that can't be right yeah. well it's the best if, if they're on a lifting platform you're thinking about maybe the forces of the pull and then it's okay to drop it. But that's, you have a lifting platform specifically for that, not just willy nilly in the way, in the, in the gyms where they're smashing them everywhere. Well, but, um, what do you think Mel would be a good way of getting into it in a very small scale? Cause my thing is, you know, I'm a good runner, but I've got very little muscle mass at all. Like I've, I'm, if you saw me yes. the whole, I'm just a, what they call a lanky streak of piss basically so uh i'd need to hold on is that what they've called that can i write that down that's the official phrase for someone of my body type yeah i'm just a straight line um so there's not much fat on me but there's also not much muscle basically so i don't know how i'd even start with lifting basically yes how you start um squats deadlifts hinge movements but everything that would keep your shoulders back whatever you do and you're going to lift you, you set everything. And let's say there's a rope out of the top of your head. Your shoulders are back. People would say, I, but I don't stand like that. Right. But if you accentuate it when you're doing some lifting, even if you're doing some curls or some press above your head, but if you have your shoulders back and your posture, spine in line, you're thinking there's a whole lot of as strong as steel head to heels. So if you're oh, thinking like dead straight, you like that one? That Sometimes they resonate in people's head, a little line like that. It's useful you know for I mean? me, even away from the gymnast, because I've got quite bad posture. Naturally, I'm always sort of hunching over and people tell me this all the time. I very rarely stand up straight, even in everyday life. So I could do with, if I yes. start thinking strong as steel from head to heel, maybe I'll find, and also because I like the idea of running. Sorry, Gary. You know, I was going to say, you will start to get back problems with that posture. Uh, for sure, yes. for sure. I do need to sort it out now. I also like the idea of picturing I, myself as a racehorse when I, when I run as well. I reckon <laughs> I was going to put a spring in my step immediately. But everybody needs to be that bit more upright, right. you understand? You're just thinking standing tall all the time. 
and don't get that run on because they just they, you see so many people i i am on the motorcycle a lot driving to different people and i go past parks and i see people running and i i actually have to look away from the from people on the tracks because their knees are stuck together and their feet are coming out and nobody's picking their knees up and they're running on their heels and that's like, ah, I can't look at them all. Even I spot this sometimes. I sometimes see, um, cause my, because I've been running for a long time, my style is quite, at least it's quite relaxed. I'm quite physically loose. And sometimes I see yes. people doing it in quite a macho way and they're like, huh, huh, and you know, properly sweat dripping <laughs> off them. Every <laughs> breath is loud. Every movement is sort of big. And it, they think this is like, it is the the sort of the workout equivalent of running, like every breath hurts type thing. But to me, yeah. I'm like, I want to stop them and say, this isn't, what? this is going well, to hurt you, you mate. Do you remember somebody like Steve Cram in the day or even, you know, um, there's a, yeah. I, I, mean, I do athletics, so I could quote lots of the kind of the great styles of kind of upright. Yeah. Michael yeah. Jo- Johnson. Michael Johnson's was the, I mean, the classic, upright, right? almost falling backwards. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. so beautiful, you know, in terms of yeah. uh, the gait. And, and just the, the sense that you're not having to, you're not pushing yourself every, I used to mm. be, uh, when I was growing up, it was Liz McColgan and Yvonne Murray. Those guys. Oh, she looks with a very awkward style. She had a very awkward Liz, style, but she also looked like she was barely moving. Like she was so kind yeah. of, when you see a runner that's, like those, I grew up watching those guys in the, I suppose the early nineties and, and even Mo Farah really, I love watching runners who mm, they really, I mean, he, he's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. He just looks like he, uh, yeah. he just looks like he's barely, no but even, yeah, but I think actually, the, the great runners it, I've watched, it, they've always, sorry. they've always not looked like I'm being a runner here. They, they just, you know, I suppose Liz, Liz did sort of stare down at the track a lot. Well, Liz did this thing like this, yeah. though, didn't she? She hunched yeah. over. But, so it was amazing. But, she, if she'd un- uncurled herself, I wonder she, what she'd have won by <laughs> even more in Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you look at Mo Farrow early on winning races, there's so much movement on him there's there's so much but then if you look at his later races he's far more laser focused everything else is going on around but his head even if the sprinters when they're going absolutely full tilt the head is like boom I'm not moving anywhere else this is because you're this pillar of strength here if this doesn't move every force that you push away this way forces you that way without um, losing when we're analysing races, you know, yeah. this is what Michael Johnson and Denise, when they, they see that stuff and it's the tiniest of movements, it, but yes. it's enough that that person has then lost, you know, four hundredths of a it, second. It's, it's amazing when you, when you watch 100 metres back in slow motion, it is just like yeah. you say, Mal, it's incredible to watch all of their faces perfectly in line, not moving, all of them just looking at the finish line. Absolutely. Like they're, it's savage, isn't it's it? Incredible. It's, it's terrific. That focus yeah. is amazing to see. Yeah. So you mentioned Mo Farah, which is interesting, Mel, because if you stand next to him, you cannot believe how thin his legs are, right? But this guy squats. So he, he does weights, man, yes. Mo Farah, right? So even Mo Farah, Mark Watson, does weights. <laughs> there you training. go. And so, as you say, so... <laughs> that guy doesn't look like he's working out that much in the gym. No, and so, but so... actually he's, he's very striated, he's very muscular, I, I, I suppose, although yeah. he's very lean. So you can do weights mm. without it damaging your half marathon PB. In fact, it will improve your half marathon PB. Well, sometimes I'm, sure. I'm conscious that, especially like some more leg power would be very handy for hills and stuff like that. I, I do often wish I was slightly more powerfully built a little bit more uh carrying a, bit a, more, a little so, bit yeah. more a little bit more buff maybe uh, yeah but uh, would like buff <laughs> i hesitate to say about myself even as an imagined idea but yeah <laughs> by the way by the way mark mel mel dean built rio ferdinand so oh. that's his that's his <laughs> right. price position. he was rio was manufactured in mel's lab 
Well, uh, Rio <laughs> well, the, the latter day, the latter day, the post football. I've Rio not Fernandes. met Rio, but uh, he doesn't exactly look in bad condition anytime I've uh, seen him on TV. So yeah, that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. good recommendation. Uh, and yeah, yes, he, he was a skinny mini. He was only eighty three kgs at six foot three, but now he's ninety seven, ninety eight, depending on the day, because his, his metabolism is absolutely outrageous. That's yeah. uh, I, I think mine's a bit like that as well. So I could be the next Rio Ferdinand. It's very- <laughs> It's, it's funny to me that Rio Ferdinand is someone I've only ever seen on the playing football, and then but now I know exactly how many kilos he is on a given day. <laughs> Not many fans have that information. Now you know. <laughs> so Mel, just finally, how how many times a week would Mark need to do some lifting to see some? Difference? Yeah, I'm running most days generally, but obviously I could I could adjust I mean, it. A you bit. run most days. Yeah, not every day, um, but a, a lot, at least a, a little run most days. Just as as I say, mostly just to, especially with lockdown, I've been ramping it up because you have to get. Yes. I do something. Well, if you're getting to get some time in for training, I definitely have two sessions in a week. Right. Definitely two sessions in a week. And for you, strengthen those erectors. If you don't have any weights or anything like that, there's an exercise called skydivers. If you lie on the deck, yeah. spine in line, and you take your chest off the floor and you take your legs off the floor. So you're basically doing a, an inverted banana right, kind yeah. of disposition. So you're firing up all those muscles in your shoulders and your erectors in your back and your yeah. gluten. Yeah. So when you stand up, if I was in that position and then I just put my arms down, I would be in a perfect posture. You get me? So if you get used to firing up those muscles and then you stand up and you think, that's how I am when I do the skydivers, you'll be in far better form, I tell you. I'll have a go at that. Also, I am a member of a gym because there's a running track that's only ever used the track, but there is a weights room there I could be using as part of my membership. Get yeah. in that as well. Get in there. Get in there. Whatever you push, you pull. You get if you, Everyone does press-ups and curls, and then they end up going and Mel, in like obviously, this. unfortunately, you two live too far apart even for your motorbike, Mel. But um, <laughs> if um, if Mark wanted to get a little program, do you know, are there, are there, there's a lots of stuff online that people can kind of access these days. There, yes. There seems yeah, to there's, be. Yeah, there's a, there is a lot online, yeah. They're absolutely. Go to Amplify Pro. Amplify That's the one Pro. to go to. There we go. Yeah. I didn't imagine I was going to come out of this podcast as a sort of powerhouse in the making. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Well, there he is. That's the powerhouse. There he is. I'm, I'm sitting up straighter now, Mel. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Mel, I always love chatting to you. You know that and training with you too. And uh, although we haven't gone into great depth about women lifting and all that, I just, I love, you know, that you that you'd support so many women as well in this area and, um, and you're yes. passionate about that. So um, well done you. Uh, by the way, Mark, currently Mel's girlfriend, Vicky, is rowing the Pacific. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you get these couples, it's just a bit of a piss take really at the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell. She's a machine. She's, she's literally she's there now. Machine. Yes, yeah. she is. She has a thousand miles left. Yeah, so that sounds a lot of rowing still to me. <laughs> yes. I've done rowing once, which was for a sport relief thing where TV personalities had to do a sort of boat race. So I did two days on the river and it was bloody horrible. So good luck to your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, let's give them a quick indeed. plug. Their Instagram is... Girls Who Dare. Yeah, wow. go along and you can see how they're doing because they're going for a world record. And when they eventually get there, Mel's going to fly out and give her a big hug. God, I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah, she'll, <laughs> she'll have earned that. She deserves it. Yeah, I reckon she so. Yeah, it. if she's got any arms left to hang on to you with. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Mel. Lots okay, of thanks, folks. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, so I think I think we've uh, persuaded you there, Mark Watson. Well, I mean, you might even venture into that gym and have a little little. Go Mel's in. energy is quite persuasive. It's fair to say. I mean, <laughs> a guy like that is not easy to argue with. I also imagine it would be difficult to argue with him face to face. Like if he was questioning my posture, he I was. Would... A, he was a centre in rugby, and uh, he was quite a, yeah ferocious competitor. I mean, he yeah. like. You know, the game's changed, but in my day, that was the physique of a forward rather than the back, to be perfectly fair. is <laughs> My dad often talks about this. My dad brought me out to watch rugby from an early age, and he, he always talked about, in my dad's eyes, every rugby player looks like what a prop used to be. Yeah, they, they've all got massive, basically. Yeah. You've got wingers, you know, who are six foot five. It's mad. Who are six They're all four, just total, yeah. complete athletes and machines. Athletes. But I, I'm, because I came into watching rugby just at the end of the amateur era, I can still remember when they, it, a guy had been an estate agent and <laughs> you know barely an athlete at all really because <laughs> well, Kenny became professional kind of after a few years of, of course he yeah right, he's in that he was crossroads right in the middle yeah of that period yeah so you'd have people on the team when he played at wasps and they were winning titles who'd been dentists and uh policemen and it know, was they all had it careers. was amazing I, I used to watch well Bristol's my team and yeah there was a guy called John Webb who uh you might remember he was, he was a fullback yeah. um but he was also an orthopedic surgeon so he'd be <laughs> taking these crucial penalties getting under the high ball and then two hours later he was like setting people's legs in place and stuff like that it's, his own teammates his own teammates not just probably a useful person to have around actually yeah it, in fact it's something I um it's something I miss about that golden age of rugby is is Bill McLaren or you know whatever commentator it was saying and there he goes the postman you only get it now when there's non-league teams in the FA Cup and the commentators bang on endlessly about it. But it used to be, you could be watching, well, Five Nations as it was. And yeah, you'd still, the commentators spend half their time just talking about how someone was a fireman on this side. (laughs) But even now in like professional football, um, when I'm doing research, I absolutely love it when I find like Connor Roberts, Wales, he likes to do carpentry in his spare time. And when I find stuff like that out, I love that that footballers have a skill. Yeah, I think sports people... (laughs) To, tend to be really underestimated by the general public because there's this idea that they're just sick and all they've ever done with their lives is play football. It's, it's a nice thing about not just Southgate, but this whole England squad, you know, speak so well and so um, seem like well-rounded individuals. I don't know them, but it, it just, I, I feel like the general public is finally having to apologise for patronising sports people for decades. <laughs> and I, I hope that a generation of, maybe not a generation, but a lot of people have been turned on to football who might stick with and sport in general that felt that it was not for them. I've really loved seeing that. The inclusivity yeah. is has been amazing, actually, in terms of them sticking to their guns about the knees yeah. and also uh, wearing the rainbow armband all of, and, and doing it with such kind of grace. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I know a lot of people who do not... People say what's the the armband or whatever is just, you know, it's, it's performed in virtual signalling or what difference does it make? But you, you can't imagine the number of people out there who for the first time are thinking... I'm accepted in this place that I never mm. would have before. And that's huge, I think, mm. for the future of sport. And it's a really nice thing to... Because, you know, when, when we see England fans smashing stuff up or, you know, uh, intimidating people outside pubs, I, I, every time I want to say, this is just a subsection of football fans. Most mm. of us are just nerds that love, you know. Mm. So the more mm. people we can get on the bandwagon... Uh, the more nerds. The smaller percentage of it will be people that are just like <laughs> racking phone boxes. Exactly. More nerds. Just, Give us more one, nerds. One final thing before uh, my time is up with you that I want to just touch on, which it kind of relates to training and mal and aging, basically, mm. right? So the physical manifestation of being a midlife, you know, when things start changing and things start breaking down a little bit in the body, and when you look in the mirror, what you see, <laughs> yeah. does that does that bother you at all? Are you are you there yet on kind of giving? Well, yeah, tributes? like most people, I. Um, there were certainly times in lockdown where it did hit me. I suppose I, you know, I had just turned 40 when everything went to hell. So I was in a good position to think I've come to a phase of my life where things are falling apart because they were, the universe seemed to be falling apart. And most of the last 18 months I've been looking in the mirror thinking, Christ, I look much more unkempt and shaggy than I ever would have done. And also my hair started to pick up more and more gray. But I think on a more 
um, the aspects of aging that are getting to me are not so much what anyone thinks when they look at me, but it's what you know internally. My dad is um, 69 now and he's um, looks a lot like me and physically is has always been in very good health, but he's just started to have, you know, chest problems, angina, stuff like this, which can happen however healthy you've been. And he's so he's, so I can't help looking at that and is the, and, and he, what's coming. Yeah, what's coming. He's always played loads of sports with us and been pr- proudly active and he still is quite, but it's, it's painful to see someone slowing down um, just because of time like that that you associate with so strongly. And there's only so much you can ever do about that. It doesn't matter how mm. fit you are or, you know, all of us know people that are fitter and healthier that have had terrible health problems. So yeah, that side of it is what spooks me. I think the health stuff that you can't, anticipate it's an insurance policy isn't it looking after yourself and starting to really get serious about it i think in midlife definitely and i like I, I like the fact that when i'm running i know that i'm my heart is going i feel like my my every time i have mm. a medical it's like all right your, your pulse is good your blood pressure some of the nuts and bolts are definitely fine but also it's also i drink quite a lot i have i don't look after myself in other ways necessarily i don't watch why i eat that much and i've got away with that but again you know it's coming <laughs> you, you can't mm. or rather it could be coming you can't predict yeah forever. i think like, it, yeah. You, you might never you might have such a great metabolism you might never put the weight on but actually what you're putting inside you is important in other ways absolutely so, i think it's almost a trap that I, my weight very mm. rarely fluctuates if i don't run for a few days like on tour it'll it'll go up slightly but I, by the sound of it like rio my metabolism is lightning fast so uh, I am able to eat and drink and be quite unhealthy without any yeah external signs and that just you know, make sure you eat five a day as yeah well. I'm not too bad at that stuff but I'm not don't don't eat your processed stuff th- this is the thing. of course on tour which I hopefully will be again now it is quite easy to just slip into terrible mm. eating habits and stuff so yeah I, I think do you not take a chef like Jimmy Carr <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite at the budget level where I can have a traveling staff but uh, that's something to work on I suppose yeah, I think that's, you know, all of us have got to face that. But I definitely think what's scary about looking at, at age is just that there's more and more stuff you can't control or anticipate, basically. Mm. Well, look, but, you you, know. we've got you, you've got you, your prescription from today is you're going to do a couple of sessions of lifting in that gym next to the track. That you to be fair, to. In, in 10 years time, I might be, a, I, I might look unrecognisable. Yeah, if, and it, this will be the pivotal moment. Yeah, and you'll carry on with the very beginnings of having a bit of therapy as well. So I think your midlife kind of prognosis and the, you know, the the check assessment here is pretty good, actually. I hope so. You're, you're on... I think I've, it, it is maybe a coincidence, that, but just because I did turn 40 right at the start of the pandemic, I've had an unusual, you know, coming together of elements which have made me think, okay, where am I in life and what do we do next? And hopefully I am taking those steps well now, but um, easy to say on the podcast, isn't it? <laughs> More difficult to be in good habits day to day. Yeah, but I'll know. I'll just see you and I'll know whether or not you do. Yeah, now I, and I'll just ping you a little tweet. You know? Well, the more the more publicly I do talk about this stuff as well, the more I'm making. This is how I did the marathon. I told everyone I was running a marathon, then you can't not. So maybe this this no. is a bit like that. Making good resolutions out loud in a forum where a lot of people hear it hopefully makes it harder to back out again. Yeah. Richard Bacon said that's why he he regularly kind of every few months or so is tweets that he's never drinking again and it lasts about two months and then he says because he tweets it people call him on it yeah oh you're not drinking right okay um Mark it's been a pleasure absolutely love chatting to you thank you so much for giving up your time thanks for having me it's been really fun sharing and um I feel like I've come uh, out of it with quite a lot what with your advice and Mel's (laughs) what do I know but um no I loved you and what you've said I think will resonate with so many people as well in how you've I hope so you've had some incredibly well-known guests so I hope I sort of uh, I hope your numbers don't drop significantly. <laughs> <laughs> and before you go, quick plug for uh, we could do anything. You do your books, you could do your tours. Are you touring? I am touring, um, and of course, like with anything, it's provisional. I've got absolutely hundreds of dates in now because as soon as theatres start to reopen, all comedians just scramble to put them in. With any luck, I'll be so. I mean, just look at me on Twitter or 
my website is Smart Watson the Comedian, and you'll find what looks like a terrifyingly long itinerary. So it's basically <laughs> from now until more or less this time next year. But again, it's with the provision that we don't know how many of those will survive. But I like to think this might be the end of that sort of chaos, but we've all we've had quite a few moments like that, haven't we? And then the podcast is called Menkind, and that's quite easy to find as well. And uh, hopefully, we're, okay. we're hoping to talk to you. In fact, so yeah. Like it. a sort yeah. of school exchange Great. program. But uh, yeah, thank you for uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Take care, Mark. Thank you, Gabby. It was really fun. I knew Mark Watson would be a wonderful guest, not just because he's so honest and candid, but obviously he's very funny and very clever and just uh, seems to have a, a meticulous way with words. I really enjoyed chatting to him. And I hope he does take a bit of Mel Dean's advice as well, because weights do not need to be scary. You could check out Mel's Instagram account, actually, for some of his weightlifting tips and lots of comedy videos as well about people doing it badly. Uh, thank you to Solgar, not his clients, I should add. <laughs> thank you to Solgar for sponsoring. They have over 300 minerals and vitamins in their stylish brown glass bottles with the gold lids and as olympic fever is building the gold is what we're all aiming for isn't it so have a look at the range and see if there's something that can help support you a thank you to elvis my lovely brother-in-law for composing and performing our soothing music thank you to lauren armstrong carter and rethink audio for producing and to you for listening i'll see you next time Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.